Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The FT. Welcome to this edition of World Weekly with me, Gideon Rachman. This week, we focus on the continuing scandal around spying and surveillance. Much of the focus in recent weeks has been on the activities of the US intelligence agency. But this week, it was the turn of Britain's intelligence chiefs to testify before Parliament in an open session, the first time that's ever happened. James Blitz, our security correspondent, watched the testimony, which has just finished. And he joins me now in the studio and on the line from Washington is our correspondent there, Jeff Dyer. But James, first, quite a kind of historic moment to have the heads of MI6 and MI5 testifying openly on television even. Did they say anything interesting that struck you in particular? Well, it was a one and a half hour session with the leading MPs and peers in Parliament who are experts on security issues, chaired by former Foreign Secretary Sir Malcolm Rifkind. As you say, it was a historic moment. I mean, just to put this in context, whereas in the US where Jeff is, it's pretty well known now, the leading figures in intelligence appear before congressional committees in public and answer questions. This is absolutely unprecedented in the UK, which is much more secretive. Only one of these figures, Sir John saw as the head of MI6 has ever appeared live on TV. The head of GCHQ, the equivalent of the NSA, has never publicly appeared in any form at all. There's only one photograph of him that's available to newspapers to print. So this is an extraordinary moment. And you also had the head of the domestic security service, MI5. They used this hearing as an opportunity to get across their anger at the extent to which the revelations by Edward Snowden and their publication in The Guardian has damaged security. They they were really no holds barred about that. There was a particular moment where Sir John Soares, whom, as you know, Gideon, is very media savvy, came up with the phrase, Al-Qaeda is lapping it up, which I'm absolutely sure will be all over British media tomorrow. So they were doing that. The other question that there was at this hearing was whether the parliamentary committee would hold them to account? That's been a big question. I mean, at the end of the day, there's so many allegations against the NSA and against GCHQ and the extent to which there's just no surveillance, no ministerial surveillance, no parliamentary surveillance seem to be getting on with all this ability to sweep up internet data. The committee asked some punchy questions, but I think the judgment of many tomorrow will be that they could have asked an awful lot more. They could have really come out with some of the specific revelations that Snowden has come up with, in particular about the extent to which encryption has been cracked on the internet by GCHQ and the NSA, the extent to which they're actually dealing with what Jeff would call the crown jewels of the internet. I think there was enough direct questioning about that, but certainly a historic moment. Do you think that, in a sense, that the spy chiefs, if I can call them that, got away with it, partly this relatively uh, gentle handling that you describe, because in a larger sense, they're winning the battle for public relations here in the UK? I mean, it it struck me that certainly when I speak to Americans, there's a sort of sense that people here, they're a bit surprised by the lack of outrage in Britain at the amounts of surveillance, Europeans too, that the British 
still seem prepared to give the benefit of the doubt to the intelligence agencies. Yes, that is a fair observation. It is certainly right that there is a great deal more concern about this in the US and also actually in some European states, especially Germany, for instance, about the extent to which the the internet traffic that there is, the voice communications are a private matter and that's something that needs to be protected. We don't have that kind of sense of outrage in the UK. We don't have that sense of rights. What I think was important from the security services point of view is that they're much more quiet in the public debate than their US counterparts. In the UK, you've been hearing day after day, the Guardian, the broadcasters going on about this question about excessive surveillance by GCHQ and the NSA. And you've had very little by way of response from politicians. You've had a a brief comment by David Cameron, who complained about the la-di-da coverage of the Guardian. You've had one speech by the head of MI5. This was actually a moment when the securocrats came out into the open and actually got their arguments out in the open. And that will be important to them. They should have in many ways been up there quite a while ago making these comments. Jeff, give us a sense of how this parallel debate is playing in the US. And in two senses, I mean, are the intelligence agencies as upset, as angry, or maybe even more so as their British counterparts? And also how are they uh, being held to account? Is there more outrage directed at them? The curious thing about the conversation in the US is that it's almost two parallel debates in the rest of the world, particularly in continental Europe and places like Brazil. There's a huge fuss about the way that the US and, by extension, the UK is collecting information on, on non-Americans, as they refer to them here. In the US, the debate is entirely about the way that the NSA is collecting information about Americans. What is happening to the citizens of the rest of the world is, is almost sort of brushed aside as being beside the issue. And here, the main focus is on the program that was the first Edward Snowden story, which is about the bulk collection of telephone records of American citizens. And that's the main sort of political pressure point. That's the main talking point in the, in the U.S. debate. And the way it's playing out is in two different forums. And the White House is launching its own, its own two reviews of the way the intelligence collected, one by people within the administration and one by a kind of committee they've formed of former officials. And then Congress is also been looking at a lot of some of the legislation that underpins a lot of this surveillance. The curious thing is that even though there is a lot of noise about this, there's a lot of, I wouldn't say outrage, but certainly concern about the way that the NSA is collecting information on Americans, it is possible that the end result will be to actually to legitimize the NSA more and to actually give them stronger political authority to do what they've been doing. In the sense that you're now having a very public debate in Congress about this bulk collection program. And if bills are approved that do give the go-ahead for the NSA to keep on doing that, it'll actually be a much solider political ground because it'll be after a public debate rather than the private debate they've had in the past. Now, as James was saying, one of the arguments being made by the British securocrats is that their job guarding against terrorism in particular has been made harder by these revelations. Do you get a, a similar sense from the American intelligence community? Are they concerned that their work is compromised? Very much. I mean, that's the argument they make constantly at uh, the various hearings that they've appeared at in the last few months and the other public appearance they've made. They do make it in slightly less strident terms than uh, than some of the British officials James was referring to, but that's very much the case they make. And that's putting the administration in a rather difficult position because essentially the, the spies, the secure cats have come back and said, we've reviewed all our information collection procedures and we don't think we can make any substantial changes. We think we need it all in order to keep fighting terrorism. Whereas the administration is under so much pressure, especially from continental Europe and from some other allied countries, 
that it really feels the need to, to somehow show that it's making changes, to show that it's flexible. So it's in a very tight spot. It wants to give something to the Germans and to peace and the other continental European countries. But at the same time, it doesn't want to get in a real fight with the intelligence community because that's the last thing you want to do as, as an administration. If you do want to make changes, you want to publicly have the intelligence community on board. Because if there was to be some sort of terrorist attack that hit the mainland the U.S. in the months after that, it would be politically just cancerous for the administration if it had cut some of the intelligence monitoring without the approval of the intelligence community. So, James, give us a sense of how you think this is going to play out in terms of, and Jeff, Jeff talked about Obama looking for changes he could make to try to appease some of the critics while keeping the intelligence capabilities alive. Do you yet have a sense of how this is going to change? And in particular, this very close British-American intelligence relationship, which was kind of known beforehand, but is now on the spotlight in a way that it never has been before. Is that under stress? It may be under stress. I mean, I certainly think the first thing that's going to happen in the UK is that there will be a debate about whether there needs to be an overhaul of legislation relating to the operation of GCHQ. The Intelligence and Security Committee has already done one report into the relationship between GCHQ and the NSA and said basically when it looks at the internet traffic there was but the traffic between the two of them in some of the early Snowden leaks there was nothing illegal going on but there is I think a strong feeling and I think it's within the Intelligence and Security Committee which is important that UK law does need to be changed there needs to be much more surveillance of what the NSA in particular is doing. It's very striking, I think, when you speak to senior people in government that they just don't know any of the detail about what the NSA is up to. It's as though members of the cabinet are just astonished to be reading about all this stuff in The Guardian. They had no idea that all this hoovering up was happening. It sound astonishingly naive. I mean, they must be getting this intelligence briefing. Didn't it not occur to them where it was coming from? I think government leaders get intelligence briefings, and they're happy to get them. I don't think in this country... And this goes back to Tony Blair's period, in fact. I just don't think they've done anything like the examination of what the modus operandi of GCHQ is and the extent to which it is actually able to do bulk collection of data alongside the NSA. As far as the US-UK's relationship is concerned... I don't think it's particularly under stress. There's obviously the question about whether the Five Eyes Agreement might in some way be enlarged to other countries. I think that's fairly unlikely to happen. I don't see the UK defence establishment feeling that it particularly wants to get into bed with Germany, for instance, which has not been an ally on major operations in the last few years. It's not going to want to start. It wasn't an ally on Libya. It wasn't going to be an ally on Syria if that had gone ahead. It's not going to want to do any sharing there. And, and of course, the Germans have a sort of special relationship with Russia and China, which I guess the British and the Americans would at least want to know what's going on there, which comes back to this sensitive question of spying on allies. Yes, exactly. There's been a lot of damage clearly done by the revelation that the US was spying on Angela Merkel's mobile phone. We've had the revelation this week of a major spying operation inside Germany happening within the British embassy. So all that's doing a lot of damage. But whether that is actually going to lead to any kind of reconfiguration of relations, I'm not sure. The one other area where I think it's really important in this debate, and we're not going to be able to get into it in much detail, is the so-called balkanization of the internet issue. 
The thing that really in the end is worrying people is that a number of countries like Brazil and there's then a discussion happening now in Germany and inside the European Union are talking about setting up national intranets which protect their national citizens' data and set up firewalls, if you like, which effectively break up the seamlessness of the World Wide Web. One of the things I was really struck by today was the intervention by Tim Berners-Lee, the founder of the World Wide Web, who was interviewed by The Guardian. And he was basically saying that the way in which GCHQ and the NSA have started to try and break the encryption that most people are using on the internet is profoundly worrying. And that's the kind of thing that is going to create a much, much deeper debate that's coming out of this about whether the World Wide Web and the global internet can remain the very valuable commons that it is and the contribution it makes to the world economy. Jeff, let me end with you and on that particular question. I mean, one of the things that struck me is the way in which the big American internet companies, the Googles, etc., who are, after all, key to the success in the modern sector of the American economy, have now broken ranks with the American government and are saying, well, we complied with the law. But meanwhile, the American government appeared to be breaking into Google's internal communications and the way in which data was sent between servers. Do you think that those big internet companies and the American government can now come to some kind of understanding and common presentation to the rest of the world, or are they essentially at war now? This is the key question, I think. I mean, we spend a lot of time talking about the diplomatic fallout from all the Sonar revolutions, but I think the much bigger impact is going to be on the U.S. internet industry and the U.S. technology industry, because they have been revealed to be either witting or unwilling participants in a lot of the, a lot of the activities that the NSA is doing. I think there are two stories that are particularly damaging to the industry. One is the one that James is talking about, about how the NSA has been trying to break encryption standards and trying to adapt technology standards in the tech industry that would allow it in some way to have backdoors that are allowed to spy more effectively. And the other one was this story last week in the Washington Post, where essentially it seems that the NSA has been hacking into data being transferred between different Google and Yahoo data centers, essentially hacking into Google and Yahoo. This is incredibly damaging to these companies. And when the first Snowden stories came out in the summer, they were able to say, and people largely believe them, that the information they were handing over was information that was mandated by a court warrant. These stories are completely different. These are about essentially the NSA just going in and grabbing and taking what it wants from these companies and completely undermining their integrity. And it's going to be very hard for them to fight back, but will be interesting to see whether they do launch a kind of public campaign. There was a bit of legislation that was muted about two years ago, which the big internet companies really didn't like, called CISPA. And they were able to mobilize a very, very effective public campaign against it. Wikipedia went dark for a day. It really did have a very, very big impact. So far, they've limited themselves to a few public comments criticizing the U.S. government and the NSA. So it'll be very interesting to see whether they're prepared to go further and to actually launch a much more coordinated and determined popular public campaign against NSA surveillance, which would have a big impact potentially on Congress if they were prepared to do that. But they'd obviously be picking a very big enemy if they did do that too. Jeff, a fascinating subject and I'm sure one that we'll return to at some point. We'll have to leave it there, however, for this week. So Jeff Dyer in Washington, James Blitz here in London, thank you both very much for that. And until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.